Chapter 4, Part 2 of Pioneer Work in Opening the Medical Profession to Women by Elizabeth Blackwell. The Sleeper Vox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4, Part 2 Study in Europe, 1849 to 1851. Monday, May 1849. This morning I called on Dr. Carpenter who has written those admirable works on physiology. He lives near Regent's Park. It was sparkling with dew as I walked through, refreshingly sweet. I found him and his wife exceedingly agreeable. I liked them at once. They questioned me with great interest about my past course. I am to meet some distinguished people at their house tonight, and among them a Miss Gillies, an artist who has watched my steps with the highest pleasure, and who thinks the only true livers are the workers. I received several notes of introduction from Dr. C. He says I must hear Mr. Paget lecture, that he is the most promising surgeon in England." i found an invitation to a pharmaceutical soiree awaiting me on my return with the information that i might see all the distinguished m d s there assembled evening i've just returned from dr c s delightful little party the ladies were in regular ball costume some dresses very elegant dancing to the piano music vocal and instrumental dr c gave us a very beautiful piece of mendelssohn's on the organ he and his wife sang together with great feeling his microscopes said to be the most beautiful in england were there his preparations were exquisite the lung of a frog most minutely injected a piece of shark skin which seems covered with innumerable teeth and piles of other specimens miss gillies is a distinguished artist i am to visit her and see her relation dr southwood smith chapman the well-known publisher was present and talked a good deal to me but seemed a little undecided what tone to take he has a very handsome, intellectual face. I was introduced to many pleasant people. One had the rare, beautiful face of Cooper's mother. Great interest seemed to be felt in my course. Before going to Dr. C.'s, I went to examine the specimens collected for the pharmaceutical soiree. I was surprised to find that the papier-mâché models have been hitherto unknown in England, and that the people were regarding with the utmost rapture specimens which are in common use in all American colleges. Sir J. H. drove us to the Consumption Hospital and the Chelsea Botanical Gardens, a most kind-hearted, simple-mannered old gentleman." Dr. Percy secured me a great treat. I visited the Hunterian Museum in company with Mr. Owen, who lectures at the institution. 
it is said to be the finest collection of comparative and morbid anatomy in the world mr owen is a man of genius and the hour passed away like a minute while listening to his eloquent descriptions of the fossil remains and the laws which related them to living animals to man and to the globe he invited me to come any morning between ten and twelve but unfortunately my time is too crowded the obstetric collection is very fine if i return through london i shall certainly try to spend a week or two in examining it we next took the railroad and went to greenwich choosing the third-class open cars that i might see the country which is laid out in market gardens richly cultivated all round london though the city stretching out through deptford to greenwich makes one uninterrupted town in that direction greenwich hospital for sailors has impressed me more than any other institution with the power and wealth of the nation it is a series of great palaces connected by colonnades with double rows of pillars ranged round a large green open to the river with the park and observatory in the background the old sailors were hobbling about in comfortable dresses with enormous rations of bread and meat for we reached it just at dinner-time and they were allowed to take their meals and eat in their cabins there are long walks where they smoke and they rove about in the freest style their chapel is a very beautiful hall though i fear the rich painting and mosaic is lost on the rough tars the painted hall is immediately opposite the vaulted ceiling is covered with figures which are larger than life even from below the walls are entirely covered with large paintings richly framed of naval engagements and naval heroes and many relics of the great commanders are preserved in cases the park is always open to the public groups of women and children were sitting under the fine old trees and the deer were so tame that they took no notice of passers-by we sailed up the river to waterloo bridge passing the tower and st paul's and several handsome stone bridges then we went over the british museum which is thrown open to the public we had only time to pass rapidly through hall after hall devoted to branches of natural science egyptian monuments grecian remains etc all admirably classified with a label to every specimen how i longed that our students and particularly a certain e b could enjoy the great advantage of walking to such an institution and seeing each object of study actually there in its natural relations i hastened home to wash and dress and reached mrs x's just in time for the seven o'clock dinner it was a tremendous operation we sat at table for three hours i really grew stiff notwithstanding the champagne i drank by the by that is the only wine i like 
iced champagne is really good. I sat by Sir J. H. at table, and never discovered till I had left that it was actually mother's old friend. He told Charles that he knew my mother and remembered my face perfectly, having often seen me at church. I regretted exceedingly that I did not know the connection till too late, for I had always liked the kind old gentleman, and he would have seemed to me quite like an old friend. He has been rather unfortunate in money matters lately, and was robbed of all his family jewels by a foreign count and countess whom he was hospitably entertaining. He possesses an old chateau in France, which he often visits, and gave me his card to use at Boulogne, in case I went that way. The general conversation, however, was stupid, and I really needed our three-mile walk home to wear off its constraining effects. Thursday morning I visited my first hospital, St. Thomas's, but under rather unpleasant circumstances. Indeed, I hesitated whether to go at all. The surgeon to whom I sent my letter of introduction knew nothing about me, thought it was a very indelicate undertaking, and simply sent me a line to one of the nurses with the request that I would not enter any of the men's wards. I swallowed the indignity, however, and went, feeling very uncomfortable. But to my surprise, after I had been there a little while, I was met by Mr. South, the senior surgeon, who had come on purpose to meet me and show me everything a very kind rather eccentric man who paid me the utmost attention and pointed out everything even to the everlasting brew-house of the establishment in the museum he drew my attention to many noteworthy specimens such as the aorta tied by sir astley cooper St. Thomas's is a series of enormous buildings, which is the character of most public institutions here. Its income is £30,000 per annum, and some hospitals have even more. Then he invited me to attend his clinical lecture. So, at the head of a large body of students, who had been peeping at me in every direction, I passed with him through ward after ward, men's and women's, the students preserving the most perfect order, though I could see that they were filled with the intensest curiosity. He gave me the fullest description of interesting cases, and made me examine several. He left his students to the house surgeon, and accompanied me to the Barclay Brewery, an enormous affair quite a national curiosity. It was here that the brutal Haina, whilst visiting the place a short time ago, was mobbed by the men when they heard who had come amongst them and barely escaped some very rough usage. My courteous escort left me in the kindliest manner, promising me an introduction to the Bethlehem. While at St. Thomas's, I received three invitations to post-mortems, to a lecture, and to the ophthalmic dispensary, 
all of which I was compelled to decline for want of time. At the brewery, visitors enter their names. I set mine down without the M.D. Mr. South insisted on my adding it. I have been asked by physicians again and again if they shall call me doctor. They fully recognize my right. I always answer this question in the affirmative, as a matter of principle. I can hardly describe to you the difference of feeling with which I entered and left the hospital. We walked a couple of miles to dine with Mr. and Mrs. Charles T., an elegant household, though without the fetters of fashion. They welcomed me most kindly. My two remaining days will be very busy. I have two or three hospitals to visit and several people to see. Indeed, engagement treads upon engagement, so that I've hardly a moment to think. I thought such excitement would have bothered me intensely. It did at first bewilder, but now I've roused myself to meet it, and I really enjoy it. I've never had such an experience. I must have walked ten miles a day. I come home sometimes hardly able to move a foot. I wash and dress, and in an hour I'm up again and fresh for as much more. The more I have to do, the more I can. I believe I've never yet begun to call out my power of working. The girl has just come in with my letters, passport, and papers by the Europa. What a good sight! Bless you all ten thousand times! My next letter will probably be from Paris. I've had a delightful visit to Hampstead, where Dr. Wilkinson lives. He received me at once with the greatest kindness and interest, introduced me to his wife, a very sweet woman, graceful and gentle, and to some very pretty black-eyed children. He was disappointed that my stay was so short, told me I ought certainly to spend a year in London, that the longer he lived in it, the more wonderful it seemed to him, that every idea was represented there not by a single individual, but by a whole class, and that the societies I might study there would be of great service to me as a means of development. He is a tall, strong man, not handsome, wears spectacles, and has a strong expression of goodness in his face. He took me to see two people who were desirous of making my acquaintance, and showed me all the fine points of view from Hampstead, which truly is a most lovely spot, though only two miles from London. It is a hilly range, looking down on wide undulating country on both sides, with blue hills in the distance, Windsor Castle being distinctly visible twenty miles off. I cannot describe the place. It seems to have built itself in one of nature's choicest nooks. There is a common covered with golden gorse, 
broken by little dells in which pretty cottages are nestled, and there are old mansions hidden in noble parks, old walls covered with luxuriant ivy, shady lanes with long avenues of trees and smooth hedges of hawthorn and laurel fields covered with a rich carpet golden with buttercups and daisies the cows quietly feeding in a veritable paradise to them then there are all manner of odd corners and irregular clusters of houses but everywhere the most intense vegetation the little cottage occupied by byron who used often to resort to this lovely spot, was pointed out to me, and Harrow, where he went to school. We had much interesting conversation. In the omnibus, I parted from the doctor with real regret, but quite refreshed by the cordial intercourse. Journey to Paris all my teachers and medical friends in America had strongly advised my going to Paris as the one place where I should be able to find unlimited opportunities for study in any branch of the medical art. Being then desirous of pursuing surgery as well as medicine, I followed their advice. On May 21, 1849, with a very slender purse and few introductions of any value, I found myself in the unknown world of Paris, bent upon the one object of pursuing my studies, with no idea of the fierce political passions then smouldering amongst the people, nor with any fear of the cholera which was then threatening an epidemic. Curious glimpses of this outer world are given in letters sent home at that time. Paris, 11 Rue de Seine, May 1849 You see, dear friends, that I have reached my destination at last, and fairly established myself in this strange city. I parted from my kind companion, who in London had spent the whole week in one continued effort to aid me in every possible way with real gratitude. I could not thank him. Words seemed too meaningless. I left London with the profoundest respect for the vast power of many kinds displayed there, and a grateful remembrance of a personal reception that had been so encouraging. It rained the whole way over. An English lady, returning to Paris with her husband, was very friendly. She promised to show me the best place to stay at in Calais, and said if I would travel with them in the cars, she could give me much information about Paris, for the French made a point of cheating the English unmercifully, thinking they were immensely wealthy. We were notified of our approach to Calais by a strong smell of fish. It was quite dark and raining in torrents. I was very glad to have companions. We picked our way as well as we could over the stone pier, enclosed by walls on which stood a lighthouse glaring into the dark night. We stepped into the rooms where the passports were examined, 
and there the whiskered faces showed me I was amongst strangers, and the où allez-vous, madame, confirmed the fact. Next morning I stood for some time on the pier, waiting for the custom-house officer and watching the strange people. Market women in their white caps, the common people wear no bonnet, groups of workmen in blue blouses, fishwomen of enormous muscular development, though short, returning from fishing laden with their nets, clad in a single petticoat scarcely reaching to the knee, little children with their school-books making sundry excursions on to the fishing-smacks by the way, and chattering French with all their might. At the custom-house the search was very slight, they did not even see the cases which I had put at the back of a larger trunk, and I was only charged a couple of francs. We left Calais at nine o'clock, and the difference between France and England was apparent the whole way. The country was no flatter than between Liverpool and Birmingham, but badly drained and badly cultivated, with many peat-bogs and dwarf willows bordering the watercourses. There were many villages built of light-colored stone, but apparently not one brisk thriving town. The whole way wooden fences instead of beautiful live hedges, women digging trenches and working in the peat-bogs, and the railroad left in the rough unfinished style of America, without the excuse of an immense young country. At the custom-house in Paris, where they searched the trunks for butter and cheese, I parted from my travelling companions and launched boldly into the sea of Paris. It looked very odd as I drove along, the streets so narrow, with such odd old-fashioned houses, all built of this light-coloured stone, which has no sort of expression. They charged extravagantly at the hotel where I passed the night, so I determined at once to procure lodgings and set off early next morning to hunt up Mr. Doherty, who I knew through Dr. Wilkinson would tell me the right quarter for medical doings. I started off with a map in my hand and hope in my heart, and reached Mr. Doherty's house very early, I suppose, for Parisian hours, for the gentleman was in bed when my letters were handed in and soon after a short, sleepy-looking man made his appearance, with a horrid coarse beard, a blue and red woolen dressing-gown, and green baize trousers hanging about his ankles. I had some difficulty in making him comprehend that I was not Anna. At last, however, with the help of letters and my explanations, all became clear. I found him very pleasant. He breakfasted, dressed, etc., while I talked to his brother Thomas, who was a beautiful artist. Mr. D. went with me to some places he knew of. At last we found a little room with bedroom attached, in a central situation, and at a moderate rent. The hostess was a very pleasant-looking woman, with her own room close by, 
the whole suite being separated from the rest of the house. I felt, however, quite disappointed in the city. It did not seem to me handsome, gay, or elegant after London. But then, in truth, I was so busy settling my own little matters that I hardly had time to examine closely. Today I have spent in walking about the city with my hostess, chiefly for the sake of chattering with her and accustoming my ear to the strange sounds, for I find I have much to learn. I have great trouble in expressing myself with any elegance, and I cannot see the physicians until I have acquired a tolerable command of words. I shall very soon, however, be able to do so. I went out to buy a bonnet today, but found that my unfortunate organs were totally unable to squeeze themselves into a Parisian headdress. So I was obliged to order a bonnet, choosing plain gray silk, although I was assured again and again that nobody wore that color. End of chapter 4, part 2